conversation with Andrea Abby Caron for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library Community Oral History Project. It is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans identifying people. It is June 21st, 2019, and this is being recorded at Brooklyn Public Library. Hi. Good morning. Um, I guess to start out, can you tell me a bit about where you grew up, where you're from? <laughs> sure. <laughs> As you know, I grew up in Connecticut, um, between Wilton and then Ridgefield and then Stamford, um, which is a very white suburb, suburban place. Um, and I had this amazing group of friends in middle school that now all like turned out to be like queer artist freaks and because of like my parents divorce situation i moved to a different school district when i went to high school and i moved to like a very preppy very normie school district and none of my friends were freaks because there were no freaks there were like two goths they were cool um yeah so very suburban. I used to come to New York all the time to go to punk shows in Williamsburg before Williamsburg was a mall. Um, and then I moved to Boston to go to undergrad. Cool. Um, where'd you go then? I went to Boston University. The like, I don't know, sibling to like NYU or something. Um, Boston's very cold and one of the most segregated cities in the United States, if you didn't know. Yeah, undergrads could like walk around without encountering like people of color for years if they stayed in their like geographic zone. I did not know that. Yikes. All right. Um, did you study poetry, do poetry college? Did start in college or earlier? Or? I started writing poetry in like middle school. Actually, I really started, I won when I was in elementary school. This creepy thing happened where I won a poetry contest for Memorial Day and then I had to read this poem I wrote about Memorial Day in front of the entire school at an assembly. Um, it's so weird because like it's, the exact thing happened to me in like fourth grade. Really, I vividly remember it, and I was really proud of myself at the time. Now I think back to it, I'm like so embarrassing. Like now I write like anti-nationalist poetry, and that was like the first time I did a reading. Um, but no, I didn't study poetry in undergrad. I like wrote poetry in like notebooks and stuff, and. Then I, like, wanted to be a fiction writer and then wrote, like, a bunch of, like, Faulkner-inspired short stories. And then my first girlfriend ever kind of turned me on to poetry and, like, showed me, like, Elizabeth Bishop and Sylvia Plath and Marianne Moore. And then I was, like, okay, I'm a poet now. But I... What n that none of that had anything to do with what I was studying. I um, I was pre med and I majored in biology with a specialization in neuroscience, and I did an English minor. Um, 
and because BU is like such a giant school and there isn't like creative writing in undergrad I like got into like the one creative writing class my like last semester or my last year um so I took one creative writing class as an undergrad and then I worked as an EMT for a year in Boston and then which is really depressing and I found healthcare very depressing and I was also doing like organizing like at the time and um I was like, I hated being cold and the queer community was really small and it didn't feel like working in healthcare I could like change anything or make anything better. And so I moved to Oakland and became a poet. Warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so was your original plan to work in healthcare since you like majored in biology and Etc. Etc. All that fun stuff. Yeah, I was like, I'm gonna be a doctor. I did all the pre-med requirements. I took the MCAT. All right. And then I was like, actually, I don't want to do this at all. Did you do grad any grad school? I got an MFA in poetry. Awesome. But I think I took three years off. I was just like, yeah, I was one year in Boston, and then I was two years in the Bay Area. How do you, like, end up moving to Oakland? Um, what really prompted that? I wanted to leave Boston very badly. And I was deciding between moving to New York or New Orleans or San Francisco slash Oakland. Um, and I'd only been to the Bay Area one time for, like, a week um, previous to that. And some of my friends were, like, did a Kickstarter to do this, like, music documentary project. And they had this whole, like, month-long tour to drive across the country country and interview musicians on the road. And I was like, what if I got in the car and then you, like, left me in California? And they were like, sure. And so went on this, like... It was, like, my first time driving across the country. It's, like, first time touring, like, meeting all kinds of people. And it was amazing. And I also felt this, like, extreme jealousy of, like, wanting... Not wanting to document, but wanting to, like, be in a band, be performing. Um, this is inspiring. And then they ended up leaving me at the Anarchist Book Fair in Seattle. And then I got a ride down to Oakland. <laughs> then I moved to... Well, I got a ride to San Francisco, and then I crashed at a friend's house in San Francisco for a month, and then got a job at a cafe, and then eventually found a place to live. So I was on the road for all of August, and then was crashing at a friend's for all of September, and then I moved into a place in October. 2012. Um, I'm going to leap back a bit, too. You mentioned um, your middle school friends in Dallas. They used to be like, really awesome ended up being like queer and um, and so forth. Um, Can you talk more about like what those relationships were like and like the importance of them at a young age? Sure. Um, Well, I mean, you know how it is. There's like social formations in middle school and high school. 
and we were not like the cool kids we were like the all like i don't know art slash like baby egg queers um and we have like a cute girl i mean everyone was like into either like acting or band or chorus um or martial arts um i was also like in band in jasmine my entire life it's band kid yeah did you play i do a lot of instruments I played flute for a year and hated it, and then I switched to trumpet, and then I worked with trumpet, and then I learned saxophone, and then I played soprano and alto sax in a jazz band and like pit orchestra in high school. I stand by the idea that the saxophone is a very gay instrument. It's so gay. I mean, I had a conversation with someone else. I was like, every person I know that plays the sax is like queer. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, not this person. I was like, not that you know of. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. I just, I stand by it. So, great. <laughs> um, so, when you were in middle school, had you like realized that you were queer? No. I was kind of like a prude for a really long time. Um, I think part of that was because, partially because when my dad got remarried, he married a Catholic Arab, and I had grown up um, Greek Orthodox, which is also, like, intense, but, like, not intense, not, like, in a very intense, enforced way, and then I was, like, forced to go to Catholic after school, um... But I would, like, skip the bus all the time. I was, like, kind of at the age where I, like, knew it was, like, where I could could no longer be brainwashed. And so there was that. But I think part of it was, like, I don't know, very religious. And also when I switched to high school, I didn't have any models for queerness. And I knew that I was, like, looking for something. I, like, desperately wanted to get out of the suburbs and complain about the suburbs, like, all the time. Like, came to New York all the time to like go to punk shows um and i mean hindsight's twenty twenty, right i did like when i was in high school i did like day of silence and was like an ally at the gsa it was like clearly a baby gay um can you tell me about your family um sure I, my parents divorced. My dad immigrated from Lebanon um, to go to college. My mom's from New York. Um, I got divorced when I was pretty young. And I lived like half for a long time, and then I switched to living full time with my mom. Only child. Only child, Leo. I know. Not really. My mom's not religious, but it was, you know, it was like more cultural. Um, and what about religion now? Um, queer collectivity. Perfect. <laughs> um, so when did you like go through your realization of your queerness and your transness in college, or was it after college? Queerness, like, end of high school. 
um, came to college. I was like bi for a while. That was boring. <laughs> um, I didn't come out as trans until I was 24. Maybe 25. 2015. Okay. I went to Mills College for um, an MFA in poetry and it's like a women's college, mm-hmm. but graduate level is like co-ed, but it, it was like a totally different environment from BU. It was like a tiny, it's like a tiny liberal arts school where it's like at the beginning of every class, it's like, what are your pronouns? Which was like not a reality at um, the BU behemoth. Um, and then after my first year there, and it was also like early 20s living in Oakland where like so many people, there's so many queer elders, it's so intergenerational. Um, there's suddenly like this like, oh yeah, I can do anything. I mean, I just, like, everyone, I don't know. Um, yeah, and then I came out as GQ. Um, Switch my pronouns. 2015. And that's when you were writing one of your books? Oh, well, I was writing my first book, yeah. Okay. Can you tell yeah. Um, well, I wrote my first book at Mills. It was like my MFA thesis. And it was like edited and worked on before it became book form. But uh, it was pretty much a finished project. And it's about the US military's role in the war on terror. Um, and like how different interlocking systems of oppression like reinforce each other um and there's many eyes many voices many subject positions um but one is like a u.s female combat veteran who loses her memory because um, the signature injury of war on terror are traumatic brain injuries. So they're like invisible injuries um, in which you lose like memory and really connect and like all these things become hard. And every war based on the military technology has a different signature injury. Um, So the war on terror is TBIs and blast injuries. And... um, like previous wars or like dismemberment for example and so the medical industrial complex responds to the injuries produced by various wars and the way that um the medical industrial complex responded to tbis was to like give people basically palm pilots so like digital ways of like keeping track of things remembering people's names remembering the schedule so that's called like the pda so there's like this like cyborg adaptation and like struggle to adapt or fuse and there's like a struggle between like adaptation and fusion and reduction and that narrative is like threading along like the cyborg trans narrative which is my eye 
Kind of like their eroticization of like body adapting and like having wires in your body and pulling them out and then lots of like um, crosstalk between the different eyes throughout the book. about your own body journey and like transitioning sure. and like being like visibly gender queer and yeah. sure um where do you want to start um wherever I mean I did read one of your articles from years ago about um avoiding commercialization oh my god (laughs) (laughs) that was a mood (laughs) (laughs) so i mean i don't know like start wherever you're comfortable whatever comes to mind first okay uh well like i said i came out as gq using they them pronouns and I, like, had been repressing the desire to get top surgery for a long time. And then it suddenly, like, people around me were getting top surgery, and I was, like, extremely jealous. And I was like, maybe I should deal with this. And, like, (laughs) instead of repress it, like, think about it and think about what I want to do. And then um, figure it out. And... I, once I, like, made the decision to, like, address it rather than, like, ignore it all the time, I was like, okay, I want to get top surgery, like, immediately. Um, and I went to Dr. Garamoni in Florida. Um, he's amazing. And one of the reasons I wanted to go to him, other than that, I wouldn't have to wait so long was that he like has lots of non-binary patients and him and his staff are like can use they them pronouns um and so that was great and I got top surgery in the end of March of 2016 and it was amazing and I and wish I, like, caught it sooner. Um, and then, I mean, my, like, as you read my article, I, like, I don't want to, I'm not, like, I'm a trans man. I mean, like, sometimes I present more mask, but I'm into, like, I don't know, glitching everyone's vision and, like, being glam. And so, like, like I'm into, like, makeup. And I wouldn't call it drag or feminist, I would call it glam. So kind of like a non-gendered, sparkly vibe. Um, and I was like very, very sure about top surgery. And I was like less sure about taking tea. I take a low dose of tea. 
Um, and I was like, maybe I'll just try it. And like the low dose is like working for me. Um, that's kind of rambly. Follow-up cues. Cues. Um, oh yeah, I wanted to ask um, about when you got top surgery, did you, um, I know a lot of trans people have to really jump through hoops and present that specific trans narrative to go into any, any type of like surgical procedure. Did oh, you find yeah. that or? Um, I had to do a little bit of that, not as much as what a lot of people go through because I didn't get it covered by insurance. Garamoni doesn't take insurance, although he might start. Um, so I had been a patient of at Lion Martin, which is like the queer trans health clinic in San Francisco, and I had Medi-Cal um, in California, which only works in California, and I had to do like the I had to see, like, a psychiatrist. So, like, I had to go and be like, I want to get top surgery. And they have, you have to get, like, a medical professional to, like, sign a piece of paper and be like, this person is, like, sane and knows, like, has wanted this for a long time. And so I had to go and kind of front and be like, I've been friends forever. Like, I've wanted this since I was, like, in middle school. Because I didn't want, I didn't want it to be hard, so I just, like... I was like, I'll pretend to be a trans man for a day, sure. Um, and so I had to do all that stuff and then, like, we could get blood work and stuff. Um, and then I did a GoFundMe and took out a student loan <laughs> from Mills in my last semester. Um, and I was working as a bike taxi at the time and so I just like also just worked and like made a lot of cash really quickly um but yeah it was expensive <laughs> have not paid off my credit card since 2016 um but I mean because I didn't go through insurance I went through less institutional hoops and like Surgeons love to cut, and so it was like, I like, you know, I sent him photos and then talked to him on the phone and then, like, on the calendar. And I wanted it to line up with my spring break, but it was actually the week after my spring break, and so I, like, had spring break and, like, did all my homework, and then I went to Florida and took a week off school. And then flew back and like went to class like the next day. I mean, this is like poetry school. My classes were like an hour and a half. <laughs> it's not like I was like welding or something. I think he's such a baby though. Like, I was definitely sleepy. <laughs> um, timeline wise, after poetry school. Were you, did, like, were you in San Francisco, then poetry school? I was only in San Francisco for a month. I was in Oakland okay, yeah. for six years. Um, yeah. Timeline. So finished poetry school and then went on a month-long tour with my band, Spray Tan, at the time. Um, we went across the country, 
did a big month-long tour um, and then came back and then I mean just like finishing any big intensive durational project I was like now what but it was like working as a bike taxi and like playing shows and doing readings and then I like one of my friends from Boston was moving back to Tucson in the fall and she was like come stay with me because I kind of wanted to like I kind of wanted like a break from Oakland so I went and stayed with her and did like a DIY residency which is kind of where I started my second book um because after I finished my first book I was like I don't know how to write a poem anymore because I was just doing this project that had all these new languages and all these like particular things and I was like I don't know how to write a poem that's one page long anymore um so it was like relearning kind of what I want how I wanted to be how I wanted to maintain my like writing practice um and then I was in Tucson just hanging out doing DIY residency doing lots of like interval time free writing and then the ghost ship fire happened while I was in Tucson and lost a bunch of friends and it's very intense very sad, grief-heavy period of time. And then um, I did like a short poetry tour with another friend of mine from Oakland, from Tucson back to Oakland. And then like we got into Oakland and like immediately went to a memorial. So, yeah. Um, and that was still 2016, the winter. Um, Yeah, I mean, I was, like, sad about the Gosha Fire, and there aren't that many, like, art jobs in the Bay Area, and there aren't there really that many poetry jobs in general, um, and so it was kind of, like, struggling finding work in my field, and, like, doing bike taxi, and um, I was working for this queer press one day a week, Time of Infinite Light, uh, which is, like, this amazing poetry press collective um and then I started working for Nightboat Books with the managing editor who used to live in Oakland one day a week um and I was like touring a lot traveling for shows performances I went on the Sister Spit tour for two weeks in 2018 which was the first time it was an all queer POC formation which was legendary. And that was the first time I really pushed my poetry practice into like performance and more interdisciplinary realms. Um, and then I got back from Sisters of Tour and like this day after I got back, my Nightboat colleague was like, do you want to move to New York and like work for Nightboat? And I was like, I'm walking to a show right now. Sounds good. Talk to you later. So that was an easy I had been thinking about it already, and I told him that I was, like, maybe thinking about applying to jobs in New York. Um, yeah. I mean, I kind of felt like I was, like, I, like, wanted to work in my field, and there were, like, no jobs, and I was, like, sick of being a bike taxi, basically. And I wanted more, like, queer Arab community and I missed seasons. 
Yeah, I don't know how to do without seasons, but do you have like a good queer Arab community here now? Yeah, it's amazing. And I also like, I'm lucky, I like most of my friends from Boston like moved to New York. And so I'd already had like a friend group here and I've been coming to New York my entire life. So I already had friends here. I wasn't like when I moved to Oakland and knew one person. <laughs> yeah. Are there any um, specific like community organizations or groups that you're a part of? Um, I do like Black and Pink, which is queer trans person abolition collective. Um, and I did that in the Bay Area for years before I moved here. And the New York chapter is like so active, it's so amazing. Um, and I do lots of like collaborations around performance. And I'm working with Kay on the Trans Anthology Project. Maybe you notice if you Google me, it says poet. Yes. <laughs> Which no. is new since my no. book came out. <laughs> um, yeah, I did notice there is, I read some of your vengeance poetry. Can you talk about vengeance poetry? Oh it's yeah, I love vengeance poetry. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, well, I was trying to write about, like, I started out by trying to write about global capitalism and its effects and then it came it was like very like emotionally flat and kind of just like walking around the city um and then I was like fuck it I'm gonna write vengeance poems about all these bros that I encountered that I've encountered in my life um and it's not exhaustive unfortunately but I just kind of like stop trying to write in stop trying to write about a huge thing without like um an intimate entry point or something and then I started writing a bunch of poems about killing bros it was extremely cathartic and fun and I was like this I was like no one's gonna publish this this is like ridiculous but so fun and I was doing them at readings and everyone was like loving them I made a zine called kill bro kill cop which is a section of my book um, that I made like a bright neon yellow zine and it's part of this um, queer distro project called Chaos Queers like table at zine fairs and stuff it had the zine the zine fairs um, yeah it was that was how my book started it was from writing Kilbert poems that's super cool. Um, and did you teach or direct a summer class or something? Or maybe not summer class at Barnard? Or, um, I was a guest. I was an invited guest to teach a class about Vengeance Poetics to a class of high schoolers, which was amazing. I never, I taught workshops before, like, but of adults, and it was amazing. 
teens are so much more immediately like I have this intense feeling about this thing or like this bad experience interacting with a man or like whatever and they're amazing stuff and yeah I kind of carried them through a timeline of um the history of poetry alongside different social movements and then like asked them to make a timeline of their own lives important moments in their formations as young writers. It was very cool. Um, where is that showing? Like, I'm just saying about the other workshops that you taught with like adults and how they just came to do it. Yeah, I have like a workshop curriculum called The Poetics of Terror that I teach like one off of taught just like for friends. Um, and I taught at Casa Libre, which is a like nonprofit literary arts institution in Tucson, Arizona, um, which just announced that they're closing, sadly. But I taught there last summer. I taught at Barnard, um, and then just like in like community, less official setting. But my ability to do that kind of thing, like I never have, I'm not like trained. Um, teacher like I got a full ride to Mills so I didn't I didn't have to TA or like I wasn't allowed to TA this is a weird thing um, which I would have now I would have loved I would love having more teaching experience than just like workshop but um, my friend in Oakland and I started this reading series called Words of Resistance which was an open floor poetry night open floor radical poetry night um and every night was we did it monthly for five years and every night was like a fundraiser for commissary money for incarcerated people and sometimes we'd make like two hundred dollars sometimes we'd make like five dollars but that's poetry right yeah um and so we hosted that in like basements and living rooms and this um, like DIY art space called Rock Paper Scissors is where we were the longest in Oakland, um, where, and the person who hosted us at Rock Paper Scissors was someone who died in the Ocean Fire, Arjo, um, and Rock Paper Scissors has since lost their physical space, so they move around because Oakland is rapidly gentrifying by the tech boom. Um, but that like that reading series was like kind of my introduction to like holding a room and like hosting a space and like being mindful of people's needs and like how to facilitate the space and we had rules like no comedy at guitars to try open mics can be very punishing I don't know if I've ever encountered a bad open mic but when they're bad they're really bad so we tried to make it good and it was really beautiful it was like the first time a lot of people for it was like a space for people who weren't necessarily like I'm a poet I'm like going to like publish and do all these things and like be a poet it's like people who are like writing about being involved in social movements or organizing or queerness friendship whatever radical politics and they would come and be like I've never read before and they would do a reading and it was like amazing ask 
so obviously you're poetic. Um, yep. and <laughs> obviously. Um, so in New York, like what different jobs are you working? I think I saw something about like different presses or something. Or like, what are you doing this like super useful financially for poetry? Or including poetry. Oh. <laughs> um yeah, I, I work for Naipo Books. I'm the director of publicity. So I work there four days a week, Monday through Thursday. Um, we do like God, 18 to 24 books a year. And so I publicize all the books that we do, which means setting up book launches. And what it really means is um, training our reviews of books. So basically pitching people being like, this book is important for this reason, you should cover it, and then sending them a book, and then following up. Cool. Um, do you like it? Is that something you enjoy? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like amazing. Nightboat does mostly queer books, lots of POC books. It's mostly poetry and some fiction, translation, not fiction. And, I mean, when I moved here, I, like, kind of didn't know what I was doing. I was like, I don't know how to be a publicist. I I was only working, like, two days a week remotely, just, like, kind of, like, barely maintaining all the things that need to happen for all the books that Hippo does. Um, But now I feel like I kind of know what I'm doing. It's been a year, or a little over a year, um, which is great. And now I have, like, some, like, editorial input like I've acquired some books that like my first book that I acquired came out in March or no in April and so I'm like investing. Um do you have any current like projects you're working on? Oh my god. So many in no time because I have a fucking job now. Um yeah so I need to my summer homework is I need to finish my second book, which was accepted for the like Lay Feeks contest last summer that Simone White judged. Um, and they wanted to do it in 2019. And I was like, I have this other book that's coming out and it's been delayed. Um, and I like, so here's a fun story. Let me tell you a fun story. So I was, after Sister Spit Tour, I like went with a friend of mine to, on like their spring break to like visit Tucson for like a few days, um, which is like a 13 hour drive. And the day we were driving back to Oakland, um, we stopped by this salt and sea and like did a photo shoot. And then I realized that it was like, April 2nd or something, and I was like, oh my god, this, like, contest I was planning to submit to is today, closing today, and I was like, can we, like, stop somewhere so I can get Wi-Fi? And so we, like, went to a McDonald's parking lot, and I got my laptop sitting in my friend's car, and I was like, I kind of have a manuscript, and so I, like, had this manuscript, and then it wasn't like long enough. And then it was like, it didn't meet the page length requirements to submit to the contest. And so I like literally threw a bunch of other stuff into it and like invented a bunch of page breaks. And I was like, okay, it's long <laughs> enough. 
And then I sent it in, and I was like, there's no way. This, this is like this is like a fucking mess. And then it won, and I was like, oh my god, now I, this is really exciting, and I was not expecting this, and also now I have to like finish it, like actually finish it. And so I like have had like lots of editorial conversations with editors who are really great, and uh, I like want to rewrite the last like three quarters of the book, basically. Um, is there like a central theme for that book, or like topic you're exploring, or I don't know how to phrase that well, but it's not makes sense. Yeah, I mean it's. A lot of it is like post ghostship grief, um, like manic queer fucking in public, and um, there's a section about Anna Mendieta. I don't know if you know about her, but she's a film and earth artist who was pushed out of a window by her husband, Carl Andre, and killed. Um, and like Carl Andre is like a famous artist, and so everyone's like kind of like just like let him get away with it not that i believe in prisons or anything but i believe in vengeance um and so there's a long section about her um there was a show at the bam pfa in 2017 with a bunch of her film works that i did a lot of response writing to and and then there's a section about doing like letter writing to prisoners in, and about Fanon and the section that I have to work on this summer is I want to like connect all these things and write about like queer public sex and temporary autonomous zones which I like started doing in my performance practice and now I need to like just fucking write it so my summer homework um, and I'm also working on trashy punk romance novel which is really fun it's about like touring and crushes and stuff like that and I also inspired by Marwa Halal who's an Egyptian American poet um writing from I didn't like grow up I didn't learn Arabic growing up I knew a little bit when I was a kid but writing from writing poems in English from right to left so like works in translation. Okay. Yeah, I think I saw like a poem that was. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, the poem a poem. Yeah. Um, so those are all the things that I'm working on. That's really exciting. <laughs> and publicizing my first book, which is also like a big, a big job. Friendship, community, um, I mean my approach to poetry is, it's like, it's like a type of journalism, like a way of distilling like larger political problems and 
attempting to dismantle systems of oppression and approach some way of like imagining queer utopia. I mean, I'm not convinced that it can change anything, but I think that it can be a space, a discursive space for critique and attempts at imagining. Yeah. So I'm a Leo, so I love performing, whether it's in bands or poetry. Um, when I got invited to the Sister Spit tour, I was like, oh my God, I can't just read poems. Like, this is Sister Spit. I have to, like, do something, like, epic. Um, and so I planned out this performance um, and we all had, there were eight of us, and we all had seven or eight minutes every night. So not terribly long. Um, and so I adapted this piece that is like an intermingling of both like ghost ship grief and like antifa organizing um simultaneously that's about seven or eight minutes and i cut up a bunch of pieces of silver mylar to about page size like so like eight and a half by eleven ish and then i printed the poem on shipping labels and then I stuck the shipping labels to the silver mylar and developed this whole performance called absorption where as I'm reading each page it's about 12 pages I'm reading each page I use a medical stapler to staple the pages to myself so it's this like visceral accumulation practice talking about like trying to fight the rise of new fascism in the U.S. Um, and I, throughout the tour, like, projected different, like, we had, like, a tech person on tour with us, so he, like, had, like, a projector. And so projected different, like, basically glitchy gifts, glitchy disco-y glyphs, um, gifts um, at me while I'm reading. And so it would get, like, reflected onto the audience because the silver miler so it went on tour and stapled myself every night for two weeks um basically you stapled yourself or like your clothes or like myself like my skin right. so I used a medical stapler so I used a medical stapler and I had all these tiny little scabs and also by the end of it bruises um and so that was, like, really the first time we did, like, more of, like, a performance-oriented piece. And I've been collaborating um, with this performance artist, art director, Lix Z, 
and we adapted my part of my first book to like basically setting up like an OR scene, like a cyborg OR scene where I have like eight minutes of the book like recorded and distorted of my voice that plays and we do this whole like untangling of an external brain which is like part of the adaptation and then they staple like the wires to me so in that piece i'm getting stapled by someone else which allows for this like space of dynamic tension yeah so i did that performance at a gay rave in Oakland and at the Poetry Project and at Flowers for All Occasions. Um, and I'm going to keep versioning that performance for upcoming gigs. Um, Are you like freaked out by the stapling? No. I mean, imagining it happening seems kind of painful. But like, it's hardcore. It's fun and painful. Fun time, you know? Um, music. You said you had a band and you were DJing last night. Um, you, still, you still have the band? Um, what's your relation to music now? Um, I don't still have the band because they moved here. And yeah, but I play guitar and I played in a bunch of punk bands. Played in. My first band in Oakland was called Faceplant. It was a queer punk band, three-piece, really fun. And I also did vocals. Um, it was in this queer hardcore band called DFW, where I played guitar, wrote lyrics, and we like traded off vocals. And then the band Toro was talking about earlier, Spray Tan. It's like a queer slut rock band. Um, it was three-piece, and they played guitar, and we all switched off vocals. Um, and I was in a whole cover band for Halloween a couple of years ago, and I was in the Avril Lavigne cover band. <laughs> Amazing. So much fun. Um, and I really am trying to start a band here, um, potentially called Gay Delay, with some friends of mine that we've been scheming for the last couple of weeks. Um, but I mean, I love playing music. It's so much fun and I love playing shows and I love like collaborating in music um, it is like a big time commitment so I haven't been in the band in like a year and that's mostly because I was focusing on poetry and performance practice but now I feel like more established in those ways I can be in a band it's literally so fun and I'm like I'm my DJ name is DJ Dyke Drama um, but I, I just use my laptop. I don't, I don't have any like DJ technical skills. I just have like lifelong music participation. Where do you DJ? Like queer spaces or? Usually it's just a happy fun hideaway or like sometimes people will ask me to DJ a party. Definitely queer parties. Try not to waste my time in straight spaces. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 
Um, I wanted to ask, um, so you did go to like punk shows and stuff when you were in high school. How did you get involved in the punk scene? I just like went to shows in New York. Death by Audio. 285 Kent. Um, and then like I was part of... I part of the punk scene kind of in Boston, but it was so fucking bro It was like, I'm a punk, but this is like not my scene, you know? Um, like queer punk in the Bay Area is like legendary. Like everyone has a queer punk band or a queer dark wave band or is a queer DJ or isn't a queer noise solo project. It's like amazing how, how many queers and how much like music is happening there amazing. yeah it's amazing um, I have to keep like forgetting my questions I'm so sorry um, I will say one last thing about that um, one thing I find hard about New York is that there aren't that many like queer specific queer only spaces it's a lot of like everything's a queer space but not really in the bay it's like there are queer spaces which is very important and amazing something i miss any like particular ones or like names you remember like particularly liked or frequented the stud it's like a bar in soma which is the leather district but is a bar forever and then it, they almost lost their lease and then they co-opertized so they're now they're like a 18 person co-op and it's like a queer bar and they have performances and shows and dance parties That's fun. yeah um and i was thinking like your relation to like prison abolition work and I did see another article that you wrote about that and the treatment of people, incarcerated people in California. Yeah, it's something we've been doing for consistently for like many years. Um, I've been black and pink the longest. Um I did, I was part of CCWP for a while, California Coalition for Women Prisoners, based in San Francisco. Um, started by Diana Block. And, um, also like other iterations of like more DIY things, like, just like punk letter writing nights. Um, and, I mean, words of resistance, fundraise for commissary money, done lots of like court support, letter writing, um, teaching people how to letter write. Um, I went here, when I moved here, I went to books through bars a few times, which I don't know if you but it's cool. You like go to this bookstore that's in a basement and people write in with books or like topics that they want books on and then you try to find a book that they might like because it's like a used bookstore so it's like they're 
the selection isn't vast, but you try to find something they might like and so not. Um, yeah, and other things that I won't talk about on the record. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's important. <laughs> First of all, sure. Agreed. Uh, I would love to wear your tattoos. Um, and like, oh my God. <laughs> not like specifically, like, what does this tattoo mean? No, well, this um, one says T for T. No, more so about like when you're getting tattoos done and stuff. Like, do you go to queer, trans artists and artists of color and stuff like that? Because I know like a lot of like queer and trans people do. So I don't know. That's something I'm interested in. Like, yeah, most of my tattoos are done by my friends because everyone is a queer tattoo artist in the Bay Area, which is amazing. Um, and I have a lot of stick and pokes from friends. Um, yeah, I only have like a couple of shop tattoos, and those are my like right 13 tattoos. <laughs> um, still. By queries, except for like one, I think, which was like an on tour moment. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel very lucky to have had so many friends who are amazing visual artists and adapted that to like shape shifting people's bodies. I love tattoos, I love more. Same. And I also love getting tattooed, it's very erotic but not in like a creepy way like, not like at the artist but like as like a visceral experience having like I got my collarbone tattooed and then my entire sternum was vibrating it was very intensely it's amazing um, I guess I could ask more about New York um, like your experiences in New York have been as a trans queer person of color, like just like existing in this space, like overall positive. Like, what are like some of your favorite things about New York? Some of your least favorite things about New York? Kind of a big question, sorry. Um, <laughs> sure. Mm, okay. I love that everything is awake all the time and I love that you can take the subway despite it's like quirks anywhere at any time um public transportation and um like infrastructure for public transportation is amazing in the bay BART shuts down at like midnight so People either like rely on like cars or Ubers or whatever, or walking, and any being able to take public transportation at any time feels like also partially like a good defensive thing. Um, I love the weather, honestly. <laughs> it's so dramatic. I mean, I like seasons and like momentum and like adrenaline and changing periods intensity um I think the thing that feels hard about New York is that it is so 
hyper capitalist in like ways that I'm not used to or something like and like also with like the fall and like the fall of so many DIY spaces like Silent Barn, Audio, Tootie Five Cat, like and like millions of other DIY spaces that have like been forced to close either by like rent or the city or the police. Um, it's like if you go to like parties or shows, like bathrooms are monitored. Like I went to a queer party a few weeks ago and there was like a cis man like monitoring the bathroom and I was like, I cannot fucking stand that and also like why are you policing the bathroom? Like if someone's gonna do coke in the bathroom it's fine. Like, let them, get let them do coke in the bathroom. <laughs> like, don't, because then they, like, do the thing where they're like, oh, like, you can go to the urinal, or, like, they, like, point you in a direction. It's like, actually, like, fuck off. Like, I'm going to go where I want to go. And it's, like, assuming about gender and presentation. Um, so I hate that a lot. And I encountered that at lots of parties. I don't know if you ever go to Pat at Union Pool, but they do that there. They do that at Market Hotel. Um, so I hate that. And I feel, yeah, I mean, it's complicated. Like, I, in some ways, I appreciate that um, everyone takes their art so seriously and that people are able to like professionalize and like make money for themselves doing art. Like in some ways I appreciate that, but also I feel like it means that like there's like less free stuff or people are like less down to do just do things they want to. They're trying to be like, Oh, like how this fit into my like career path. Um, and other thing I miss are that it's missing from here. It's like, since everyone's apartments are so small, there's like less like house hangs, which involves like not spending money or like not participating in capitalism. Um, sure. I mean, I was part of a protest in 2012 and ended up getting arrested and spending a week in jail with another group of, or like, it was like a mass arrest, but it was like 19 people. It wasn't like 400 people. Um, so that was an experience. <laughs> So this is interesting because in California all the cops are in cars and here they're all on the street like on the street corner it's mm -hmm. extremely creepy I agree, yeah. so it does it does feel like very hyper surveilled and I'm like hesitant more hesitant to do punk things um as it feels hard to get away with. Um, yeah. Also, they're assholes. I mean, I'm a biker, and they're fucking assholes to bikers. 
they'll sniper lock on you and then like flash their lights and like honk and then run the red light. And, like just like literally just freak out. Um yeah, I feel like it is a real different space they occupy being on the street all the time. Yeah. And then because they're like on the street and in the subway, people like talk to them. Don't talk to them. Like, what are you doing? Don't talk to them. Yeah. Um, so, do you feel safe like in New York? Just like walking around doing whatever? Or do you feel like an element of like unsafety? That's, that's not a word. But, yeah. It's a complex question. I mean, I am, like, a hyper-aware person, and I, like, carry pepper spray, and I'm very vigilant with my surroundings. And I feel like I don't get street harassed anymore or as much because they present more mask more genderqueer um but people around me get street harassed all the time and yell at them um is that like hyper-awareness something you learned like growing up and that's always been present I think I learned it like after having an intense law enforcement going to jail for a few days because you never know when a cop wants to fuck with you. Um, this was just something a bit less like heavy. Sure. <laughs> That's okay. Um, well, like, Bruce, is there anything else you want to add? Or, like, anything you want to discuss or cover? Um, I hope that... I mean, I have no idea who's going to listen to this, but I hope that more trans people are inspired to, like, be on stage and, like, demand space for their work and their friends. Um, do you find it hard to, like, have space and, like, carve out space to yourself as a trans poet? I mean, I'm pretty aggressive. <laughs> um, as you should be. <laughs> and I'm aggressive because, like, literary institutions aren't set up to support trans people of color. And do you have to yell at them? Um, and... I'm also aggressive because I don't want people to fucking misgender me when they write about my work and it still happens and I still, like, I had to send an email, like, two weeks ago, like, yelling at someone. I'd be like, yeah, it's so annoying. Um, it's really not that hard to, like... It's really not that hard, I know. It was... Uh. I Yeah, it's... You know, I'll tell you the story. So I did this event, or I was getting ready to do this event for 
Yala Punk, which is like a punk queer Arab collective in Philly that hosts like a like weekend long like fest at the end of every summer. And they started doing events on Thursday nights at the museum. And then like someone like did like a very short interview with me and like other people who are doing like a Thursday night event because I did one earlier this month and to like write like a preview for like a Philly online newspaper about the event to like promote it and then like used my pronouns wrong even though we like had an explicit conversation about it and it's like in my bio and it's like deeply embedded in my work and I had to like, I, like saw it and was so mad and then like email yelled at him and then email yelled at the newspaper editors themselves they fixed it but then I was mad stayed up or then I was like mad and like awake and I had to wake up really really the next day anyways so yeah it does happen so that is part of my aside from needing to demand space also you have to make sure People don't fuck up all the time. It's so annoying. Yeah, um, more trans people on stage, more Arab people on stage, more punks on stage, fire to the prisons. Great. Thank you. Thank you.